I'm Lauren Hansen, multimedia editor at theweek.com, and today I'd like to share some fun and interesting facts that I learned while reading the internet this week. In my apartment, you'll find each electrical outlet souped up with extension cords and power strips that are jam-packed with plugs. Those plugs belong to dozens of devices and electronics that go pretty much unused for the majority of the working week. And this week I learned that each one of those plugged-in devices is leeching an obscene amount of energy, even if they're turned off. Leaving your laptop computer plugged in, even when it's fully charged, can draw around 235 kilowatt hours per year. I know that means nothing to you, but if I put that into context, that's more electric power consumption than a single person in some developing countries like Kenya or Cambodia uses in an entire year. According to a recent study, there are roughly 65 devices and appliances in the typical American household that are always drawing power, even when they're off. These range from TVs and cable boxes to internet modems and even coffee makers. Combined across the country, the always-on yet inactive devices use as much electricity per year as 50 large power plants do. In financial terms, that's the equivalent of $19 billion per year. For you, depending on where you live and your local utility rates, that means you're spending an average of $165 or even as much as $440 per year on devices you're not even using. The reason for this massive drain is largely because our homes are getting smarter. Our light bulbs, fridges, and even mattresses are getting connected to the internet to make lives easier. And while some of those workhorse appliances, like your washing machine, have gotten much more efficient, so many of them now have electronic displays that draw significant amounts of power when no one's using them. Then there are the sneaky energy hogs, the TVs that turn on with a remote, which is basically every TV. They still have to be on in some way to receive that remote control signal. And a lot of electronics these days are doing double duty at the cost of more power. Gaming consoles, for example, can now stream movies and TV shows, but they can use 45 times more power than your normal streaming device. The good news is that you can curb your wasted energy. Simply unplugging devices you're not using helps, or you can consolidate. Load all your electronics, your TV, video game, laptop, iPad, onto one power strip and simply turn it off before leaving the house. If the thought of all that wasted energy has you stressed, I have a simple way to reduce that anxiety. Go outside. According to a new study, looking at trees, even in an urban environment, can give you a psychological boost. In the study, 160 participants were put into stressful situations like preparing to deliver a speech or taking a test in front of judges. And then they were asked to view a video that showed cityscapes with varying amounts of tree coverage. Results were gathered before, immediately after, and a little while after the stressful activity. And researchers found that as people viewed more tree density, their stress levels went down. In other words, the denser the forest, the less stress. 
This study supports previous research on the stress-reducing benefits of nature. Another study showed that you can adjust your anxiety just by looking at photos of nature. So get outside, go for a walk, or at the very least, prop a photo of a stunning mountain vista next to your soul-zapping computer screen. This week I learned that we're all basically sitting on a reserve of superhuman strength, or at least relatively superhuman. You know how every so often there's a story that bubbles up through the press about, say, a young woman who lifts a car to save her loved one? Seconds later, she did what most would consider unthinkable. She moved a car weighing a ton and a half off her father's body. Lifted up right here and just kind of, I kind of did it to your car, just kind of threw it, like I shoved my body into it as hard as I could. And then I came back and dragged him out. Well, the strength is very real. Part of it is that people generally possess more strength than they use on a daily basis. Our muscles exert the minimum amount of effort necessary to climb the stairs, open the fridge, or pick up a cup of coffee. Frankly, it'd be a waste if you use all of your strength to do those daily tasks. But in an emergency, your fear response kicks in and taps into that reserve. You see, when we're faced with a danger, fear stimulates the stress hormone cortisol, which increases blood pressure and blood sugar, giving you a burst of energy. Fear also activates the adrenal glands, which fill the blood with hormones that increase the heart rate and breathing, which send more blood to the muscles, helping them to contract more easily. The adrenaline hormone also helps decrease sensitivity to pain so that you can focus on the threat. But the other thing to remember, and not to be a Debbie Downer here, but people aren't lifting the whole car Superman style. They're usually lifting a wheel or maybe one side, which means that the majority of the weight is still distributed among the wheels that are left on the ground. Also, cars really pack on the pounds in the front and center of the vehicle, not in the back or at the edges where this lifting usually takes place. So while we're not actually hulking out and lifting a few thousand pounds over our heads, these feats of strength are nothing to shake a finger at. Lifting several hundred pounds is still likely more than the average person can handle without that enhanced strength that is triggered by such heroic acts. And finally, I learned how cereal came to be our go-to breakfast meal. Snap, what a happy sound. Snap is the happiest sound I've found. You me clap, rap, tap, slap, but snap makes the world go round. Snap, crackle, pop, rice krispies. You see, breakfast as a meal only really came into being around the Industrial Revolution when people began going off to a full day's work. But the food was really heavy and unhealthy. Think beefsteaks and roasted chicken rather than, say, an egg white omelet. Because of these feasts that were first thing, Americans were suffering from a near health epidemic of chronic indigestion. And so in walks Dr. John Harvey Kellogg. They're great! Now, the doctor was a bit of a nut by our medical standards. His go-to medical tool was supposedly the equivalent of a spa treatment called hydrotherapy. But to be fair, the man was working in the late 1800s when still so little was known about health and germs and taking care of patients. 
But Kellogg did want to help his fellow Americans live healthier, and he thought changing their diets was the first thing to go. He wanted to nix all that meat, that white bread, and spices. And Kellogg believed his cereal would be that healthy answer. Now, he wasn't the first to make cereal. A man by the name of James Caleb Jackson invented a cereal he named Granula in 1863, but it was practically inedible unless soaked in milk. Critics called Granula Wheat Rocks, which tells you just how much it was loved. Kellogg tried to make his own granola in the 1890s, but his failed experiment had the unexpected result of creating a flaked wheat berry that he put into production and called cornflakes. Within just a few years, cereal was a full-on craze, and hundreds of cereal companies were popping up all over the place. The meal was not only convenient and quick, but was also seen as a healthy solution to that nagging indigestion. But that wasn't the only thing that Kellogg thought cereal would solve. The deeply religious doctor believed that America's affinity for meat led them to commit carnal sins. Highly seasoned meats and stimulating sauces irritate the nerves and react upon the sexual organs, Kellogg wrote. In his mind, these heavy diets stimulated sexual desires and masturbation, which he believed to be very shameful. Kellogg believed his way of healthy living could curb these desires. He so desperately wanted to reform America's dirtier secrets that he would share his cereal recipes with the public, encouraging them to make their own cereal at home. By the 1940s, cereal would be coated in sugar and not exactly healthy, but it did retain its health food reputation thanks to advertising. Long before the Federal Trade Commission kept track of these sorts of things, cereal companies claimed that that morning bowl of flakes cured everything from malaria to appendicitis. Of course, these days, companies can't just claim health benefits so willy-nilly. In fact, in 2013, the Kellogg Company agreed to pay $4 million to settle a class-action lawsuit over misleading ads that claimed mini-wheats could improve kids' attentiveness, memory, and other cognitive functions. For more on this series or any of the week's podcasts, you can check out our site, theweek.com slash audio, or you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, tell us on iTunes. I'm Lauren Hansen, and thank you so much for listening.